Well, I've been doing this now about three months straight, and I'm going to take a break next weekend. And uh, Chris Hatchett's going to preach. Got a great teaching on Thanksgiving. When we come back in December, I'm very excited about this three-week series I'm going to do for Christmas called God With Us, the name of Jesus when he was born. And uh, I'm going to tell you now, if you have a friend that needs to hear the gospel, those are the three weeks to bring them because they will hear the gospel in December. And then in January, five straight weeks in First Peter. We're going to call it strange, and looks what it means to be an alien for God. It's going to be two great months. But I just felt like today, in light of everything we've been through, that we had to have some time to synthesize and summarize what that experience was like and to reflect on it. And so that's what I want to do today. So I start with a story of this older couple that live in Phoenix. And the old man gets on the phone and calls his son who lives in New York City and says rather tersely, okay, here's the deal. Your mom and I are getting a divorce. 45 years of misery is enough. Don't try to change my mind. I don't even want to talk about it. Just call your sister and let her know. And he hung up the phone. The boy couldn't believe it. He got on the phone, called his sister in Chicago and said, I just got a call from dad. He said he and mom are going to get a divorce. She says, no, they're not. Let me talk to them. So she calls down to Phoenix and says, I don't know what you're thinking, but I don't want you to do a single thing until I get there. Brother and I are going to be there first thing in the morning. Don't you make a move till we get there. The old man put the phone down, turned to his wife and said, okay, sweetheart, kids are coming for Thanksgiving and paying their own way. <laughs> because you see, one of the most difficult things to do in the area of motivation is to continue the motivation for a long season. And that's where we are now as a church family. We've just completed a great capital campaign. But the vision that inspired that campaign is far from completion. You see, we have not reached our destination. We have secured the fuel we need to head in the direction of that destination. We met a great challenge, but we've got a greater challenge awaiting us. And let me explain why. Think about late last football season. Everybody was wondering if the Cowboys could ever win a playoff game. They got on a hot streak. They ended the season strong. They won a playoff game. They sent a number of players to the Pro Bowl. Everybody anointed them next year's champion. Everybody said and predicted that this will be the year the Cowboys get to the Super Bowl. And what happened? It has turned out to be one of the most dismal seasons in their history. Now, I want to draw from that a principle that's true in sports, it's true in life, and it's especially true in the spiritual realm. And the principle is this, that prosperity is often a greater challenge than adversity. Any coach will tell you, getting a team to the top is not as hard as keeping a team on the top. Or if a team is playing a big game and they're not expected to win, and they have a great victory, coaches call the next game the trap game. Because it's hard after a great victory to keep the passion and the motivation and the intensity up. It's a challenge to sustain sacrifice and commitment after a great moment. Now this is especially true in the spiritual realm. And it's why it's especially 
dangerous because Satan knows that reaching a higher goal tends to cause us to lower our defenses. You see it all through the Bible. Think about Elijah. His whole life was geared toward the Mount Carmel moment, getting the nation of Israel to rebuke Baal as God. They have that great victory. And what's he doing in the next chapter? He's out in the desert, depressed, saying, Lord, just take my life. Think about David. When he was out in the desert running for his life, being chased by Saul, he was close to God. He was writing Psalms. When did David fall? Not when life was hard. When life was good and he's in the palace and he's uh, secured his throne and everybody's singing his praise, that's when he fell. Think about your own life. My bet is for many of you, you would say that in the hardest moments of your life, you felt the closest to God. It is when prosperity comes that the defenses go down and we become susceptible to satanic attack. The nation of Israel would go into captivity or bondage and they would repent and they would mourn and they would fast and they would cry out to God and God would hear and God would rescue and God would restore. And as soon as life got good, what would they do? Lower their defenses and stumble again. That's where we are. We just had a great victory. And so we need to be alert and vigilant. We need to be intentional stewards of this victory. And so last Sunday night, as we were celebrating all over this building, eating soup and cornbread and, and every kind of dessert imaginable and enjoying each other, and as I was walking through and shaking hands, I was praying, and I was just saying, Lord, what now? What do we need to hear from you now? And I just feel like God impressed on me some thoughts that were so strong, I went and got some paper and started writing them down. And here's what I want to share with you. Here's what I think the Lord wants us to hear today so that we can take advantage of the victory and not stumble. Here's lesson number one. Don't lose the joy. Because if you were here last weekend, it was pervasive. It was everywhere. I I don't know if you can physically feel joy, but if you can, we did it last weekend. And it was amazing. It was inspirational. It was intergenerational. It was old people. It was young people. I got tickled by how many of our kids, as soon as that service was over, were on Twitter and Facebook talking about how fun it was to be at church today. One of my favorite stories. My mother told me there was this, uh, her young son, and, and they had been saying, now, we want you to be a part of greater things. And at first, he said, well, I might give a dollar. I might give two dollars. He wasn't too engaged. But as it got time for, to stand up and come down, he walked before the elders and pulled out his wallet, and he put in $20, which was a good chunk of his life savings. Now, now put the picture up Sunday night that we... That picture was up there of everyone holding up the announcement. And when he saw it, his mom said he leaned over and said to her, You see that too? If I hadn't put my money in, it wouldn't be there. (laughs) And I love how the kids owned part of the greater things. And it was everywhere. I I saw this on Facebook. Uh, One young mom said, For me, it was a sliver of insight to the joy we'll experience when Jesus comes for us. I jumped, cried, knelt, gasped, sang, praised, held my arms high for the Lord Almighty. Sunday night is exactly what Christ meant for His church to be, a people on fire for His kingdom purpose. Now that was greatness. 
You see, Jesus' words proved true. The way to great joy is great sacrifice. Remember the parable in Matthew 13 where Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. That's what we felt last week. We felt joy because we were actually sacrificing for the kingdom of God. Now, do you think Satan wants us to keep that spirit of joy? Do you think he wants us to feel that every time we get together? And so I can tell you now, he is immediately going to try to puncture your joy tank. And I know how he's going to do it. By getting you to focus back on the external instead of the eternal. Like the rich young ruler and Jesus said, stop thinking about stuff and start thinking about the kingdom of God. And he went away sad. The enemy knows what he's doing. He's got to get you to stop making the kingdom of God priority one. Because if kingdom of God is priority one, you don't lose your joy even if the stocks go down. If kingdom of God is priority one, you don't lose your joy even if the test result from the doctor isn't positive. If kingdom of God is priority one, there is no circumstance that can rob your joy because you can still seek the kingdom of God every day. And so he's going to be vigilant to try to seduce you back to focus on pseudo-kingdoms. And so I'm just giving you a warning. Do you want the joy to remain? Then remain on mission. Remain focused on the kingdom of God. Don't lose the joy. Warning number two, don't forget the lessons. We are forgetful. I like the story of the guy who was getting a little bit older. He loved to play golf, but his eyesight was failing. He went into the golf pro and said, I guess I'm going to have to give up the game. I can't see the ball anymore. Pro said, well, just play next week with my uncle. He's got eyes like an eagle. So he made a tee time, showed up on the first tee, and there's a 98-year-old man. Who are you? I'm the pro's uncle. I'm going to watch the ball for you. I need someone that can see the ball. I got eyes like an eagle. I says, Okay. So he addresses the ball. He hits it right down the fairway, turns to the old man, said, did you see it? Did you see it? Sure did. Where'd it go? Old guy says, I forgot. (laughs) Our capacity to quickly forget is stunning. Now, I got a stack of emails over the course of this campaign from you. Talking about how God was working in your heart and giving you clarity about some important stuff you needed to work through. Are you going to remember that or quickly forget it? There are at least two lessons that I think we all learned. One is that the greater things aren't things. Jesus was right in Luke 12. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. You cannot follow Jesus if you are stuff-acated. God taught us. God is still teaching us. Greater things aren't things. And we're about to enter into a season where every commercial and every billboard and every jingle is going to say something different. Be careful. Enjoy the season. Enjoy your family. But be careful in being seduced that what life really consists of can be bought at a mall 
are wrapped in shiny paper. The greatest things aren't things. And I think we learned another lesson that releasing is the key to receiving. Jesus never said, happy are the hoarders. Paul reminds us of this in Acts 20. He says, remember the words of the Lord Jesus himself when he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Isn't that true? Last week, I saw people come down and they were making the single largest gifts of their lives and they were thrilled. The way to live a fulfilled life, Jesus says, is to empty yourself. Don't be a clutcher. Be a giver. Rose Greenhow was this spy for the Confederates in the Civil War. When it became clear the Union was going to win the war, you know, Confederate currency was worthless. So she uh, got gold instead and she tried to escape and she got on a boat. Well, the problem was she had put all this gold and sewed it into her dress so it couldn't be found. And the boat sank. They threw her a life preserver, but the gold in her clothes was so heavy it couldn't support her and she drowned. She literally lost her life trying to clutch And hold on. Don't forget the lessons. God taught us some good things. Be intentional in remembering. Here's warning number three. Don't waste the influence. There was a great article this last week in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram about the current Cowboy quarterback. His name is John Kitna. He was the backup and when the starter got hurt, he's now playing starter. And I always had heard that John Kitna was a Christian, but I did not know how devoted he is to his faith. He wants to use his faith or his football as a platform for greater things. His life's goal is to go back to a very tough part of Tacoma where he grew up and work with inner city kids. So he says he comes to Dallas and long distance he's been blessed by the preaching of Tony Evans, this great African-American preacher in Oak Cliff. So he goes to his church and he says to him, you need to help me become a spiritual leader. God has given me a capacity to influence and I don't want to waste it. Teach me how to use my influence. And I thought, how cool that he's being intentional about it. Because so often in life, if God gives you influence as a person or as a church, we think, well, I'm supposed to be humble and say, oh, I'm nobody. No, I don't have any influence. That's not humility. Humility is admitting God has given me a platform, and so I want to use it for His glory. Now, this is what churches need to do. It's what churches did in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 20, when Paul came back from teaching the Gentiles, he told the people in Jerusalem, he greeted, reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard this, they praised God. And then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed? What are they doing? Paul says, well, let me tell you how God's working in the churches out among the Gentiles. Well, let me tell you how God's working right here among the Jews in this church. They were encouraging each other by telling them what God was doing in different churches. Last week, I got hundreds emails, texts, phone calls from pastors across America encouraged by what happened here. We need to use this influence for the glory of God. 
There are some things we've learned that can bless other churches, like the importance of being debt-free and not living in bondage to debt. Like the importance of having a clearly articulated vision and knowing as a church where you're trying to go. Like the importance of having a unified leadership. Or of believing that mission has got to trump heritage. Mission has got to trump tradition. Mission has got to trump fear. So I just want you to pray that especially I and the other leaders here can be good stewards of this window God has given us to speak encouragement to other churches. But I want to challenge you too. In your own life now, God has given you a window of influence. Maybe it's at school when you talk about your church. Or maybe it's at work. And especially in your home. And I want to challenge every parent and every grandparent here to impress upon the next generation the memory and the meaning of what God did among us. You have a teachable moment right now that can bear fruit for years to come. Don't waste it. Here's warning number four. Don't lower the bar. I know and you know of all the studies that say the Christian religion in America is not doing very well. There's different theories. I'm going to give you mine at the risk of sounding controversial. The biggest problem with the church in America is there's too many lost people in church. And what do you mean? I mean this. In America today, we're offering Christianity without conversion. I mean that literally. We are offering a vaccinated form of the Christian faith that lets you get a little dose of it so that you never, ever really get the real thing. And we do it by simply changing one word. Instead of telling people, if you're going to be a Christian, you have to sell out and follow Jesus, we say, no, you don't. You just have to accept Jesus. Just accept Jesus. Now... That means you get to pick and choose what part of Jesus you like and what part you don't like. As long as you've accepted him. That's not what he said. He said, Luke 9, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. I mean, the things I taught are to be taken seriously and implemented and tried Live like I live. Do what I said. Our church's mission is not to grow acceptors of Jesus. We said from the very start of the campaign, the real goal was not to raise dollars. It was to raise disciples. And I think that happened. What encouraged me more when I got all these emails was not how much money the people were going to give, but the decisions they were making to get more serious about following Jesus. And here are two comments I heard more than any other two last week as people came forward. Number one, thank you. The leaders would say, thank you for your gift. And over and over, no, thank you. Thank you for giving us the chance to give. Thank you for giving us a vision to give to. Thank you. And here's number two. And I heard this so many times and I was thrilled. I heard, don't stop challenging us. Don't lower the bar. We need to strive for greater things. See, the capital campaigns you want to conclude, but the call to sacrifice your life for Christ can't ever stop. We're not following Jesus so we can learn how to have manners and be nice. 
We're following Jesus because we're trying to reclaim the world for God. Sometimes people come to me and say, well, I'm moving to another city. Can you recommend a church to go to? Sometimes I can say, yes, I know a church there that's a good church. Sometimes I say, I don't. I don't know a church there. That I just don't know anything about that city. So uh, here's what I used to say. Here's two things you got to know when you visit a church. You find out real number, well, number one, are they strong on Jesus? They know who Jesus is. He is the only unique son of God, fully God, fully man. And he's the only way to God because of his death on the cross. Make sure they're strong on that. And number two, make sure they're strong on the Bible. They believe the Bible is the word of God. They're not wishy-washy about the authority of Scripture. You make sure they're strong on Jesus. You make sure they're strong on the Bible. I now add a third thing. You make sure they're strong on Jesus. You make sure they're strong on the Bible. And you make sure they expect a lot out of you. Don't pick a church where you could just walk in, sit down, walk out, and that's all they're ever going to ask. You should expect that we will expect a lot out of you. We cannot lower the bar. Here's warning number five. Don't take the credit. I made an intentional choice with my life to spend it trying to build a local church. That's God's call for me. I've had chances to do other things in other Christian uh, ministries that are legitimate and wonderful, but I said no because I don't think Jesus came to build a school or an organization or a Christian nation. Jesus came to build a church, and I'll tell you why. Because there's nothing with all of our flaws, with all of our mistakes, with all of our mess, there's nothing that brings more glory to God than the church being the church. I believe that. Ephesians chapter 3, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I have a high view of the church. In fact, there's a verse, a few uh, paragraphs earlier in that same chapter. I can't even wrap my mind around it, but look at it with me. Verse 10, his intent, God's, was that now... Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You know what he's saying? That there's a cosmic world we don't even see. Angels and demons, spiritual beings who are being taught how wise God is because of what's happening in a church. I care about the church. Now, let me tell you what I don't care about. <laughs> Can I just go ahead and say it right now? I'm already tired of hearing about William and Kate. Okay? They're engaged. They're going to get married. Hey, they've been living together. They should have gotten married a long time ago. That's what I think. But I know that we're going to hear a whole bunch about it, and we're going to see thousands of magazine covers and television specials. I hope they have a nice wedding, and we're going to... Get into how much they spent and all of those details. Uh, we, people get into weddings. You know, there's a chic wedding boutique in Beverly Hills where you can buy, I'm not making this up, $12 million wedding dress. It's got 150 carats of diamonds in it. Let me tell you right now, guys, if your wife wants that dress, she is high maintenance. Be careful. <laughs> 
But I want to tell you, the most beautiful bride in the world is the church. The world doesn't know it yet, but Jesus is going to come back someday. And it's going to be revealed to the whole world how beautiful the church is. And you know why she's beautiful? Because he has made her beautiful. But here's the other thing. He has made her beautiful so that she can show the world how good God is. God has made us look good so that we can make him look good. And so I'm going to ask you to give one more time. No, not money. Praise. We cannot take the credit. When David and the leaders of Israel called the people to give for the temple, it was the greatest capital campaign in history. And all the money was collected and all the people rejoiced. Do you know what they did? Immediately, this is what they did. They broke out in praise. And they said these words that I want you to say with me. And you have to stand when you say them. So join me please. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly saying. Read these words with me. Praise be to you Lord. The God of our father Israel. From everlasting to everlasting. Yours Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks. And praise your glorious name. And so, God, we do. We praise your name. This is about you. It's about your grace, your power, your strength, your wisdom. Father, if you had not moved in our hearts, we would not be rejoicing today like we are. Our passion, our desire is, Father, you're good. We're not making you good. We're trying to show the world how good you are. We're trying to make you look good to the whole world. And so, God, fill us with that passion. May we be great stewards of this great moment in our history that you've given us. Because in some ways, Father, the greater challenge is ahead. To take this mighty move and bring glory to your name. And so bless your church, God. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Just remain standing. Let's sing now. Let's praise our God. And if you would like to go public for Jesus by coming and being baptized, make that desire known while we praise Him.